Uh, it's good to be together for those of you that are in the room. It's good to be together for those of you who are online. My name is Aaron Wardle, one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And I have the privilege and the honor to be able to jump into our peacekeeping series. And this series has been incredibly formative, incredibly educational. And it's something that is more than just a series. But I believe it's something that the Lord is calling us to be and to do as a people of Cornerstone. That we are to be peacemakers, a ministry of reconciliation. And so what I want to do today and how I want to spend my time is I want to uh, take a look at the idea that the beginning to becoming a peacemaker begins by the restoration and the reconciliation of the things that are going on inside of our lives. The broken places, the places where there is wounding, the places where we are unhealed. That the beginning to becoming a peacemaker and living as a ministry of restoration begins on the inside. Because if we don't do the work to create peace on the inside, oftentimes what happens is when we get into situations, when we have the opportunity to be a peacemaker in the line of Jesus and on the behalf of the Father, and what happens is the lack of peace on our insides spills out on the people we are meeting with. Have you ever had that situation? When you're entering into a place where you're trying to make peace only to become triggered and make things worse. Can I get an amen on that? What I'm going to do today is I'm going to look at an unlikely character that shows us that God is in the business of transformation and bringing an inner peace so that when we go into situations of conflict or crisis, we can bring peace, not try to get peace. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Thank you that you use it all. Thank you that you are the God of peace and that you invite us. That as the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, as you said, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. That you invite us into your family and you invite us into the things that you're doing. And I pray, Lord, that there'll be, as I speak, that the things of me will be forgotten, but the things of you will stay. And that we'll be a people who do the deep work of inner peace so that we can bring peace in your name to those around us. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. As I look at scripture, as I look at history, and I look at my own life, God uses the unlikely to do the impossible. It seems to be one of his favorite things to do. He loves to use unlikely people to do impossible things. And when we look in the book of Acts, chapter 10 is where I'm going to be spending a lot of our time. This is an incredibly important section of scripture because what's beginning to happen is the gospel of peace of Jesus is beginning to move to not just the Jews, but this is is one of the instances where the gospel is going to take ground into the land of the Gentiles, and they are going to be welcomed into fellowship. And in this terrain between the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, God is going to intersect, and he is going to bring his peace and his power and his presence. In Acts chap uh, chapter 10, it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian court. A devout man who feared God and with all his household gave alms generously to the people. 
and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God and came and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from whom among those who had attended him and having related everything to him, he sent him to Joppa. Now to understand this scene, there is a Roman centurion who is a Gentile and he has a vision of God and he is a devout man who prays to God. He prays to the God of the Jews, but he is not a Jew. And so in this situation, you have this really delicate thing that is going on. You have an officer of the Roman army who is a God-fearing man of the God of the Jews who is being called to send for Peter, who is a follower of Jesus. This is a delicate situation that you would send in some of your most calm, non-anxious presence, an individual who was eloquent, who didn't have a habit of sticking their foot in their mouth or saying some things they shouldn't. But God decides, I know exactly the man that I want to send into this delicate situation. I'm going to send Simon Peter. Now, Peter's reputation is not those things. Peter is not known as a peacemaker very much. He's known more as a fire starter. He is brash. He is bold. He is one who has this way of having absolute faith and absolute failure happen in the same sentence of Scripture. It happens all the time with him. We see that, that Peter, as he's following Jesus, and Jesus says, who do they say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, that is right. And I'm going to build my church upon you. And I'll give you the keys to heaven. And later on, Jesus says, but I have to leave, and I have to, be, I have to die a death. And Peter stops him there and says, Jesus, no. No, 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 no. I'm never going to let that happen. And Peter goes from the person that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon you, that he looks him square in the eyes and he says, get behind me, Satan. That's not the type of individual that you want to do high stakes negotiation, do you? The individual who you're not quite sure what he's going to say. He wasn't known for being a super considerate man. Gets a new group of friends, the disciples. He invites him back to his house where his mother-in-law is sick. Any man who invites their friends over while their mother-in-law is sick at their home shows they're a bit inconsiderate. We see that Peter is up on the mountain when Jesus is there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's Elijah, and there's Jesus, and there's Moses. And Peter has the audacity to interrupt them. Excuse me, guys. Uh, would you like me to build you some shelters here so that we can stay for a while? He talked so much that the father interrupted him and said, This is my son whom I love. Do what he says. The Almighty had to interrupt Peter. This is a brash, a bold man, a man who sees Jesus walking on the water and says, can I give this a try? And in a moment as he's walking, he looks at the wind and he begins to sink down. This is a really unlikely choice to be a person, to go in, to help bring peace between God and the Gentiles and the Gentiles and the Jews. Peter had some really, really rough days as well. The end of the book of, 
the Gospel of John is not very nice to Peter. John likes to tell all the places where Peter, Peter has his humanity on display. And we see that towards the end, Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room, and Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, and Peter has to make it awkward. He says, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I've just been washing everybody else's feet. Unless I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Well, then wash me all over. He's just got to make it awkward. From that moment, Peter's making it awkward. He's controlling at that time. Why is he like this? We don't know. There isn't another book in the Bible where we see his family of origin. We get to wrestle with the wounds of why was Peter so quick to speak? Why was Peter acting out all the time in these situations? We don't know. But we know that from the upper room, they go out, and Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is in anguish, and he looks to Peter and James and John, and he says, my friends, stay with me and pray. Pray for yourselves and pray for me. And Jesus is in deep anguish, and what does Peter do? He falls asleep. In Jesus' hour of need, Peter falls asleep. After that, Jesus comes to them after a third time, wakes them up and says, let's go. And they are met in the garden by guards that Judas has procured. And the guards are armed. And the guards come up and they're asking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And the guards fall down. And when the guards get back up, Peter pulls out a sword and he goes on attack and he slices off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. I'm not sure if I wanted Peter defending me if his aim was to chop off the ear of an individual. That's some precision. Side note for another sermon, it's hard to get people to listen to you when you chop off their ears. That one's free. We'll talk about it another day. But one of the things is Peter comes up, I can only imagine Jesus in that situation of like looking and going, I'm the Messiah who knows all things and I'm sovereign and I did not see an ear chopping off coming. As he reaches down, looks at Peter and says, you seriously cut off this guy's ear. You seriously are cutting off this ear. How come and how many times have I told you, put that sword away as he puts the ear back on Malchus? What do you think Malchus's thoughts are? This guy just glued my ear back on and I hear fine. Maybe he is who, we thought, who, he, who they say he is. But Peter, in that moment, he has gone from making a room awkward with his control. He's gone from being inconsiderate in the time of Jesus' need. He's gone now to showing a violence inside of him. It is bubbled up that not as just brash words, but now it is actions that drop blood. And drawing a sword and cutting off the servant's ear is not the sign of a peacemaker. It's a sign of someone who has a lack of inner peace. When they were in the upper room, Jesus told them that he was going to have to leave and that all would leave him. And Peter says, no way. There's no way I would ever betray you. There's no way I would ever deny you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And as Jesus is at trial, Peter, just does, he, Peter does just that. He denies Jesus three times. So within a period of 24 to 30 hours, Peter's tried to control the room with awkwardness. He's fallen asleep in Jesus' time of need. He's cut the ear off someone in his violence, and now he's denied that he even knew the one that he loved. This is not the sign of a peacemaker. 
But what happens to Peter that makes him the same man that does all of these things, but later on in Acts 10, he's the guy that God says, I want to send you to this Gentile to preach the good news of peace so that they may experience it and that they may be baptized and they may experience the Holy Spirit and that the message may multiply. What happened? And what I believe happened is a profound transformation on a fishing day. Peter and his friends, after Jesus had shown up a couple times, they went fishing. And they're in the boat, and they look, and one of them sees someone on the shore, and they see it's Jesus. And I love the passage. It also shows the, the, the just, just how Peter lives to the cadence of his own drum. It says he put on his clothes and jumped in the water. And then he's making his way to the shore. And when he gets to shore, they bring in the boat and they share a meal with Jesus, with, with the other disciples there. And they're having a meal. And then Peter, Jesus brings Peter and he takes him aside. He says, Peter, come with me. And this is one of, let me get it right here. This is one of the first encounters that Peter has with Jesus once again after he has denied him three times. So there's something powerful that begins to change. And the transformation of the man who would do those things in the garden to the man that would be trusted to go into the courts of Cornelius is right here. Peter goes face to face with his failure of saying, I denied you, Jesus. And Jesus looks him right in the eye and he asks him a question. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, that you were your, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you to the place that you do not want to go. I don't want us to miss what is going on here, because there's a powerful healing and restoration that begins to happen. This bold man that was filled with courage, that would said he was going to be a catcher of men, is now having his vocation changed in the radical grace of Jesus to become a carer of people, from a catcher, fisherman, to a carer, a shepherd. And the peacemaking journey begins because Peter has to come face to face with Jesus and know all the failures he did. And in the moment of his great failure and his great brokenness, Jesus meets him right there and invites him into his ministry. And things are never the same for Peter. As we read about him in Acts, yeah, there's times where he gets himself in trouble and says a few things. Yeah, there's a time where he and Paul get into it. But Peter is a different man. There's a softness. In his writings, he talks about speaking to one another with humility and gentleness. That's not the way he was in any of the Gospels. But after this encounter with Jesus, where he comes face to face with his own brokenness, and he receives the healing and the redemption and the forgiveness of Jesus, there is a peace that he experiences that now he can go and extend 
We see the next time Peter shows up is in Acts at Pentecost. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up and begins to minister the gospel of peace to all who listen. That sounds a lot more like the type of person that is to be a peacekeeper. Peacemaker. Sorry, I keep using those interchangeably. Choose your own adventure, which one you want. I move now into, back into, as we have a little bit of context to see this migration of Peter moving from this, this fisher, fisherman who was aggressive to this carer of souls, a shepherd. And we see that God was preparing Peter for this moment. And after Cornelius had had a vision, Peter also has a vision. This is a little while after Pentecost. Peter is filled with the Spirit, and he's on the shores in Joppa, and he's on at a house of Simon the Tanner, and he says he's hungry, and he goes up on the roof, and he relaxes for a little bit. And it says he falls into a trance, and there is a vision. And he has this vision of this huge sheet, and on the sheet descending down are all of these animals and birds and reptiles, and all of them are there, and he's looking at them, and he hears a voice say, rise, kill, and eat. He says to the voice, absolutely not. I know that's against our religion. We're not supposed to do this. And the voice says, don't you call unclean what I have created. Well, Peter comes out of this vision and he's perplexed. Say, well, okay, so I guess my dietary needs are expanded. Is that what this is about? And at the same time, those individuals that Cornelius had sent show up and they're at the gate saying, hey, is Simon Peter here? And Peter comes down. And they begin to explain the vision that God has called for him to come to, to Cornelius, the centurion. And so Peter, without question, goes. This is a different type of man. Because he is now heading into a mission of peacemaking. Where he would help to bring reconciliation between God and the Gentiles and the Gentiles and the Jews. And he goes into the house and Cornelius is there instantly, and Cornelius falls on his knees. Now, this is a, a Roman centurion. This would not happen other than the fact that he was a God-fearing man. And he falls on his knees, and Peter brings him up and says, I, too, am a man. And he lifts him up. And Peter begins to speak, and in, in only the way that he does, he says, he enters, and they met him. And he said, and he began to talk to them. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now why am I here? I love that. He goes in and he says, this is not normal for me. I've never stepped foot into a place like this. But God has showed me in a vision not to call it anyone common or unclean but can you help me understand why i'm here cornelius goes into the vision of how he saw the angel of the lord and peter hears this and he begins to preach the gospel of peace through jesus and tells the sto whole story of jesus for cornelius's family were god-fearing but they didn't know of jesus when they hear the story they are overwhelmed and they believe. And it says that the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they begin speaking in tongues and they were filled with that. And Peter, at the end of this message, basically, he says, he says, should we see any reason? I don't see any reason why these should, people shouldn't be baptized. For what God has made clean, I shall never call unclean. 
Peter said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That is a very, very different and delicate message that was brought to you by the transformation that Jesus brought to Peter. For him to become a peacemaker, he had to experience peace inside. You know, as I look at this character of Peter, I really relate to him. This is an individual whose emotions and physical reaction have no distance, and that's the way I am. I can't tell you how many, and I'm embarrassed to say, how many opportunities for peacemaking I have ruined because I got triggered by something inside. Something the person said triggered something in me, and I began to get frustrated. And as my frustration rose, it became an issue of conflict between us that peace was not going to happen. And I actually made them worse because I got triggered. Something unhealthy and unwhole in my life that hadn't been brought into the life and the radical grace of Jesus was triggered, and the peacemaking mission was destroyed. I, uh, along with that, there's many times where I not only get triggered, but I begin to transfer what I need from the situation onto the other person. I need peace. I am not bringing peace. Does that make sense? That there are times when we do not deal with the things that are going on in our inner life that cause us to pull out a sword and cut off an ear, that cause us to control a room, that cause us to talk over people, that cause us to be triggered. If we don't deal with those things, what happens is every situation we go into, we often transfer the toxicity that is inside onto the situation and the person. Because we are looking to get peace not looking to bring peace. I play in a band, and we haven't played in a while, but <laughs> when we are not in the midst of a pandemic, I play in a band, Francis and the Wolf, and before every one of our shows, um, I read a prayer from St. Francis, and it's the, you know, we named the band after him and, 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 and that idea of being an instrument of peace, and I'll read it for you. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of, of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek so much to seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in parting that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born into eternal life. Amen. One of the things that's amazing about this is how quickly I forget about this when things at the show don't go well. We were playing in a battle of the bands, and we got it stolen for us, and I will leave it here. We won't talk about it. I was, and uh, after we found out that we had lost, I went into the bar to... Uh, wage peace on the individuals that, that had uh, stolen this event from us. And I went in, and unfortunately, there was no one left. So it was one of those humiliating, like, where you barge in to do something, and there's no one to do anything about it. But as I left, 
I began thinking about our mantra, our prayer, to be an instrument of peace. And it was the second half of this that really got me. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. The idea of as I went into this, I was realized how many times I am going into this environment, whether it's on the stage, it can transfer to others, to get something, not to give something. And so I am often frustrated because I am not getting that which I want. And I transfer my disappointment upon that. And this is one of the reasons that for peacemakers to do the diligent work of dealing with the broken, unreconciled, unwhole places in our lives. Because if we do not, we start pulling out swords. And we may think we are defending truth, and we may think we are moving in justice, but we are moving out of the own unredeemed places in our lives. And Peter did this for a long time. But after an encounter with Jesus, we see that he moves from that and he moves to be a minister of the gospel of peace, reconciling his literal enemies to the presence of the living God and to his family. There's a man named Frank Rogers. He is a Quaker, and he provides spiritual retreats. He writes extensively on the issue of compassion. And he begins to talk about this very thing, that for you to have compassion on another individual, you have to experience compassion in your own life. And I think we could parallel that to being a peacemaker. For us to be individuals who extend and bring and give peace to others, we have to have experienced and received peace in our own life. And Frank Rogers, who is a brilliant author, speaker, he says that his vocation is to create safe places for people to experience radical grace. I just love that. But he's not always been this type of a man. He's a survivor of severe sexual abuse. And he says that his young adult years were absolutely ravaged by rage, depression, and acting out. But until he was able to begin to experience compassion in his own life, was he able to extend compassion in others. And in his book, he has this helpful tool, and he calls it FLAG. And I think it's something that we can begin to use for us as we begin to go into peacemaking situations and maybe there's something that is unresolved in our lives and we begin to reach for that sword, we remember flag. And flag is this. It asks the question, what is my deepest fear? Longing. What am I longing for? Aching. What persistent or aching wounds am I carrying? And the final one is, what gifts do I possess that are being frustrated or denied? You know, as you look at all of these things with the life of Peter, why did he act this way? Why were there flags being thrown all the time as he is acting out in behavior that is just either awkward or inappropriate for the moment? There's a flag that is being thrown. 
There's something that is being raised. There's a fear in him that has not been brought to peace. There is a ache, there's a longing in him. There's an aching. There is a gift that has been denied. But one of the things that I think is powerful this is for us to use this tool as we begin to set out to be peacemakers. Can we begin to look at the areas of our lives where we begin to are, be triggered? Where we possibly could be transferring our own toxicity onto the situation and others? And begin to ask this question in the presence of Jesus. What am I afraid of? You know, oftentimes, one of my biggest triggers, and I will out and embarrass myself on this, is in a conversation that could be peacemaking, if I experience the other person as condescending, boom, flag is thrown. I feel that of going, you're talking down to me. And I will begin to get very frustrated. And unfortunately, I have ruined situations of peacemaking because I felt they were being condescending and I then let them know it. One of the things that I realize is as I follow that back of what's the fear? The fear is that I'm not enough. The fear is that I'm not intelligent enough. The fear is that I'm not gonna be able to do this. What's the ache? The ache is I hate the feeling of tension between people. I'll do the, what's the longing? The longing is for connection. The ache is that feeling of hating that tension that comes. What's the gifts? The gifts is I want to be someone that connects, not someone that separates. And so when someone becomes condescending, I felt, feel disrespected, and it's as if Peter grabs the sword and goes, you're about to lose an ear. But what the real issue is, something subterranean deep inside of me that needs to meet Jesus on the beach after a breakfast and to stand before him in the light of him and say, Jesus, you know what? Um, when I enter into these situations, this is what it's like. The first thing we do is for us to grow and for us to explore, to become more whole, is we apply that flag to ourselves, but then we begin to apply it in others. And I actually tried it this week in a very benign situation with my wife that was, we were in a, it was, it's not even a conflict, but we had to take one of our daughters somewhere. And I was reading this, and so luckily she was able to experience the best version of me because I just had read this. And I didn't want the sermon to go bad by not applying it, so I applied it. But in the situation, I began to hear her, and she began to elevate. And I was like, usually at those times, I'd just be like, oh, yeah? Let's do this. What do you want to say? But in the moment of going, what's her fear? Oh, her fear is that I don't view what she does as, as important as I do. What's the longing? The longing is to be respected for the season that she's in. What's the ache? That there are times when she has to care for everyone and not be cared for. What's the gifts? Uh, the gifts is that she has important work that the Lord has called her to that can't happen at this time. And it was amazing in the moment to begin to look at, to apply that to go dialing the situation down, putting away the sword, everybody left with ears attached. And it was a moment of peacemaking that could have been a moment that brought a lack of harmony and connection and wounding. Now I say all this, and as I begin to wrap up, the Lord is calling 
all of us, but I believe the Lord is calling our church, as Brian has led us, as Gene has led us through this, to be a community of peacemakers. But one of the things that must happen is the brave journey of descent to go into the broken places of our lives to experience the peace of God first. Because if we do not do that, we will be people who are aggressive, angry, wielding swords, who go into a situation to get peace instead of people that are bringing and giving peace. And don't you see this all the time? Don't we see that some of those who tout themselves as peacemakers are some of the most aggressive? Some of the most, well, we'll just leave it there. There's a beautiful transformation that we see in the life of Peter when he moves from that terrible day to he moves to that triumphant day where he's able to minister the gospel of peace to the Gentiles all because of an encounter with Jesus that brought an inner peace. So here's what I'd like to do as I close for those of you online and for those of you here. The Holy Spirit is here. And I invite you just to close your eyes. And I invite you to ask the Lord... Are you calling me to be a peacemaker? now invite you in the presence of Jesus to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind if there are places in your life places of brokenness places of pain where you need to experience peace. And now, we're just going to go through that Frank Rogers little acronym. 
And would you ask the Lord to help reveal an area of fear that may be blocking you from peace? from there, would you ask the Lord, or just be attentive to your own soul, your own spirit, your own emotions, if there is a longing, an unmet longing that is blocking you from peace. Now in the presence of Jesus, is there, is there a persistent or aching wound that you're carrying that blocks you from peace? And finally... Are there any gifts that you feel have been blocked to create a sense of frustration and block you from peace? We'll just linger for a few more moments. And as you're here, and, and if you feel comfortable you know, online or here, just to begin to see yourself on that beach with Jesus, like Peter did as he went and had breakfast with Jesus in the morning. Would you ask him to meet you in each one of these areas, the fear, the longing, the aching, and the gifts that are blocked? bless you, my friends, with more of the presence, the truth, the power, the love of Jesus, that he may meet you in each one of those places, and that you may hear his call to become a peacemaker, but that you also may experience the reality that he is the one who restores the broken and wounded places in our lives. May we be peacemakers who after experiencing the peace of Jesus, bring and offer peace to a broken world.
I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.